BBC presents Murder in the Muse by Agatha Christie. Dramatized for radio by Anthony Aspinall. Penny for the guy, sir. Penny for the guy. Cool, thank you, sir. Penny for the guy, sir. Penny for the... Oh, blimey, if it ain't a copper. Blimey, if it ain't two coppers. Look out, you blokes, for being watched. Here's a couple of plainclothes coppers all tugged up. Come on, let's copper. Come on, quick, run, boy. Run, boy. <laughs> Just an excuse for begging. That's what Guy Fawkes says. An interesting survival, my dear inspector. The fireworks go up long after the man, the commemorate, and his deed are forgotten. You know, Poirot, I don't suppose many of those kids know who Guy Fawkes was. <laughs> My friend, I shall be glad to reach my flat. Be a good night for a murder, wouldn't it? Nobody would hear a shot, for instance, with all this noise going on. It often seems odd to me that more criminals don't take advantage of the fact. Hmm. You know, Pilot, I sometimes wish that you'd commit a murder. Oh, sir. I'd like to see how you'd set about it. My dear Inspector, if I committed a murder, you wouldn't have the least chance of seeing how I set about it. <laughs> You wouldn't be aware, probably, that a murder had been committed. Oh, is that so? Coffee little devil, aren't you? Of course I am, my dear job. And with reason. With reason. Hello, hello? Hello, is that you, Poirot? Oui, c'est moi qui parle. Chop here. Remember I walked home with you last night? Yes. Uh, and we took a shortcut through those mews, a Bardsley Garden mews. Yes. And we, and we talked about how easy it would be to shoot a person with all those swips and rockets and all the rest of it going off. Yes, certainly. Well, someone was shot in that mews. Number 14, young widow, Mrs. Allen. She appears to have committed suicide. I'm going round there now. As a matter of fact, our doctor seems to think there's something funny about this. Will you come? Yes, certainly I'll come, yes, Good. yes. Number 14... The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Deceased Sir Mrs. Allen, sir. Lived here with a friend, a Miss Jane Plenderleith. Miss Plenderleith was away, staying in the country, and returned this morning. She let herself in with a key and went upstairs, first to her own room, that's this room, then across the landing to her friend's room. The door was locked on the inside. She rattled the handle, knocked and called, but couldn't get any answer. In the end, getting alarmed, she rang up the police station. That was at 10.45. We came along at once and forced the door open. Mrs. Allen was lying in a heap on the ground, shot through the head. There was an automatic in her hand and it... Looked a clear case of suicide. Uh, where's this Miss Plenderleith now? She's downstairs in the sitting room, sir. A very cool, efficient young lady, I should say. Oh, well, I'll talk to her presently. Better see the doctor now. Right, sir. Dr. Brett's still examining the body. Uh, this room here, sir, just across the landing. 
Well, hello, Jack. Morning, Doc. Glad you've got here. And you've brought Hercule Poirot. Well, hadn't helped the wretched criminal in this case. Well, Doctor, what's the trouble? Well, it's a funny business, this. Take a look at her. She's lying just as we found her. She obviously fell out of that chair onto the floor when she shot herself. The door was locked and the windows fastened on the inside. Well, then what's wrong? You notice the fingers of a right-hander clasped round a small pistol. Mm-hmm. Are those fingers really gripping that gun? Mm. No, they're not. And look at the wound. When that pistol was fired, it was held to the head just above the left ear. The left ear, Mark you. Yeah, that seems to settle it. She would have found it difficult to hold a pistol and fire it from that position with her right hand. Very difficult, I should say. Surely it would have been so much easier to have fired the shot above the right ear. Yeah, seems pretty obvious then. Someone else shot her and tried to make it look like suicide. Uh, what about the locked doors and the windows, Jameson? Uh, windows were closed and bolted, sir. But although the door was locked, we haven't yet been able to find the key. Ah. So whoever did it locked the door when he left and hoped the absence of the key wouldn't be noticed. That was very stupid. Oh, come now, Poirot. That's just the sort of detail that's apt to be overlooked. Doors locked, people break in, woman's found dead, pistol in hand, clear case of suicide. She locked herself in to do it. They don't go hunting about for keys. Yeah. Incidentally, Doctor, uh, how long has she been dead? Eleven o'clock last night's about as near as I can put it, with a margin of about an hour either way. No, that could mean any time between ten and midnight. Uh, Sergeant Jameson. Yes, sir? Uh, there was no letter, no note has been found from the dead woman. No, sir, nothing. One more proof that it isn't suicide. This is her writing bureau over here. Curious. This, uh, this bureau doesn't seem to have been used recently. Well, there's a goodly pile of cigarette ends in the ashtray. Uh, there's plenty of ink and pens. It's the blotting paper which really interests me. Hmm? Why should it? Clean and unmarked. It's obviously never been used. Uh, the waste paper basket, the sergeant does, I presume a waste paper basket, huh? It is, Monsieur Poirot, but it's empty. Oh. Oh, yes, I see. Thank you, thank you. That, that, that window, doctor, that window, huh? Has it been open since you arrived? No, it hasn't been touched. Why are you sniffing like that, Poirot? Doesn't it strike you, my dear Job, that the, the, the air in this room is unusually fresh? Not particularly. Well, what of it? For the moment, uh, I say nothing more. Uh, I was afraid of that. Well, Jameson, it seems you've got a murder case on our hands. Yes, sir. Get your staff together and make a thorough search of the house. Let them begin in here. See the fingerprint boys do their stuff as soon as possible. Very good, sir. Now I'm going to interview this Miss Plenderleaf. You coming with me, Poirot? Of course. Course. You arrived home this morning, Miss Blenderleaf, at um, what time? I think it was just before half past ten. I paid off the taxi, carried in my suitcase, and went upstairs to my room. I tied it up a bit, and then I went across to Barbara, uh, Mrs. Allen, and found the door locked. I rattled the handle and knocked, but could get no reply. I came downstairs again and rang up the police station. Mademoiselle, it did not occur to you to get help in breaking down the door? No, I don't think I thought of that. If anything was wrong, it seemed to me that the police were the people to send for. Then you thought, Mademoiselle, there was something wrong, huh? Naturally. You didn't try and look for the keyhole, Miss Plenty? No. No, I never thought of that. But I couldn't have seen anything, could I? Because the key would have been in it. You did quite right, of course, huh? I suppose you've no reason to believe your friend was likely to commit suicide? Oh, no. She didn't seem worried or distressed in any way? 
No. Did you know she had a pistol? Yes, she had it out in India. She always kept it in a drawer in her room. Yeah. You got a license for it? Imagine, sir. I don't know for certain. Um, have you known Mrs. Allen long? I've known her about five years. I met her first travelling abroad, in Egypt, to be exact. She was on her way home from India. We made friends. At the time, I was looking for someone to share a flat or a tiny house with me. We thought we'd get on well together. And uh, did you get on well together? Very well. We each had our own friends, of course. It probably worked out better that way. I see. What do you know of Mrs. Allen's family and her life before she met you? Not very much, really. Her maiden name was Armitage, I believe. And her husband? He drank, I think. I gather he died a year or two after the marriage. Oh. There was one child, a little girl, who died when she was three years old was obviously a painful subject, and we didn't refer to it. Do you know if Mrs. Allen was in any financial difficulties, in debt, anything of that kind? Oh, no. Now, there's uh, another question I must ask. Mm -hmm. uh, had Mrs. Allen any particular man-friend or men-friends? Well, she was engaged to be married, if that answers your question. Oh, can you tell me his name? Certainly. Charles Laverton West. He's MP for some place in Hampshire. Had she known him long? A little over a year. And she's been engaged to him uh, how long? Oh, about three months. As far as you know, there hasn't been any quarrel. Barbara wasn't the quarreling kind. Yeah. How long is it since you last saw Mrs. Allen? A week ago, just before I went away. And she was remaining in London? Yes. Uh, where were you staying? With friends in Essex. <laughs> I thought you'd want to know, so I've written the address on this card. Oh, thank you. Uh, you only left them this morning? Yes. You must have left very early. I came up by car with my host. He starts early because he has to get to the city by ten. I see. What, uh, what, what is your opinion of Mr. Laverton West, mademoiselle? I don't know that I've thought about him one way or the other. He's young, not more than 31 or two. Ambitious, means to get on in the world. <laughs> That's on the credit side. And on the debit... Well, in my opinion, he's commonplace. His ideas are not particularly original, and he's incredibly pompous. <laughs> Hardly any serious faults, mademoiselle. Don't you think so? Oh, 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 they might be to you, mademoiselle, but to Mrs. Allen, no, she wouldn't notice them, I think. You're perfectly right. Barbara thought he was wonderful. Took him entirely at his own valuation. Miss Prendely, uh, as far as you know, did Mrs. Allen have any enemies? Anyone, for instance, who would... Profit by her death. Oh, no, that'd be ridiculous. She had a very small income, anyway. Uh, who inherits that income? I really don't know. I shouldn't be surprised if I did. That is, if she ever made a will. And there was no one who had a grudge against her? I don't think anyone in the world had a grudge against her. She was a very gentle creature with a sweet and lovable nature. Hmm. So it amounts to this. Mrs. Allen has been in good spirits lately. She wasn't in any financial difficulty. She was engaged and happy in her engagement. There was nothing in the world to make her commit suicide. That's right, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. That's why it's all so incredible. Hmm. Uh, incidentally, have you let this Mr. Uh, Laverton West know about this tragedy? Oh, no, I'm afraid I haven't. I ought to have rung him up. Oh, how dreadful. I forgot. Would you like me to do so? Oh, I should. Very much. The telephone's in the hall. You'll find his number on the pad thing beside it. Oh, thank you. I'll do it right away. I also want to have a word with Sergeant Jensen. 
Forgive me if I, uh, if, if, if I move a little nearer to the fire, mademoiselle. Of course. Beautiful English coal fire. This uh, terrible thing that uh, creates all the smog. Huh? <laughs> yes. In the room of your friend, I noticed there was only a gas fire. Oh, this is the only coal fire. All the other fires in the house are gas. I see. Yes. It, uh, it has been a great, oh, great shock to you, your, your friend's death. Terrible. You didn't expect it, no? Of course not. No. Even if Barbara did kill herself, I can't imagine her killing herself that way. Yet uh, she had a pistol. Yes, but that pistol was a... Oh, what nonsense. She'd been in out-of-the-way places. She kept it out of habit. Not with any other idea. I'm sure of that. Why are you sure of that? Because of the things she said. As such as? Well... For instance, we were discussing suicide once, and she said much the easiest way would be to turn the gas on and just go to bed. I said I thought that would be impossible, to lie there waiting. I said I'd far rather shoot myself. And she said, no, she could never shoot herself. She'd be too frightened in case it didn't come off. As you say, that's strange, that's strange. Yes, 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 because there was a gas fire in her room. Yes. That's why I can't understand why she didn't do it that way. I suppose it must have been suicide. Oh, well, uh, there's one other possibility. It uh, might be murder. Oh, no. No. What a horrible suggestion. Horrible, perhaps, but uh, does it strike you as impossible? But the door was locked on the inside. So was the window. The door was locked, yes, but there's nothing to show if it was locked on the inside or the outside. You see, the, 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 the key, the key is missing. But then... If it's missing, it must have been locked from the outside. Otherwise, it would be somewhere in the room. Oh, it might have been thrown out of the window. I admit that's unlikely, but... Murder. Murder. I wonder if it could be. I wonder. You know, I believe you're right. I believe it was murder. But if it were murder, there had to be a motive. Do you uh, know of a motive, mademoiselle? No. No, I don't. Ah, oh, my dear Jock. I've had a word with Mr. Labberton West. Oh, how did he take it? Oh, it's shaken him up a bit, I'm afraid. He's coming to see me at the yard, two o'clock this afternoon. Uh, tell me, Miss Plenderleith, have you ever seen this small object before? No. It's not yours, nor Mrs. Allen's? No. It's not the kind of thing usually worn by our sex, is it? Oh, so you recognize it? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? That's half of a man's cufflink. And you can't tell us who it belongs to? No, I can't. Oh. Well, thank you for what you have been able to tell us, Miss Plenderleith. I'm afraid I must ask you not to leave this house for the moment. We may want to ask you some more questions later this morning. Of course. I understand. Thank you. Now, Poirot, I'd like you to come upstairs with me again. I'd, uh, I want you to have, have your opinion on one or two points. As you wish, my dear friend, as you wish. young woman's too cocky by half. Would it surprise you that I'm having her alibi looked into? No. It does not surprise me. There's a police box in the next street. Jameson's putting a call through to our people in Chelmsford. I want some inquiries made at that address Miss Plenderleith gave me. I particularly want to know if she could have left the place and come into London last night. She's a clever young woman. Hmm. Think she did it? Oh. She might have, you know. Some quarrel over this young man, this budding MP. She's the sort of to bump anyone off if she felt like it and keep her head while she was doing it, too. 
she had it all very pat. Now, after all, Essex isn't very far away. Plenty of trains. Or a fast car. Yes. I think it's worth finding out if she went to bed early with a headache last night. Don't you agree? Yes. Yes, I do. I do. In any case, she's holding out on us. That young woman knows something. <laughs> so often the difficulty of these sort of cases, people will hold their tongues, sometimes out of the most honourable motives. One can hardly blame them. What, 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 what about fingerprints, uh, by the way, huh? Oh, it's murder, all right. Huh? Oh. No prints whatever on the gun, mm. wiped clean before being placed in her hand. And even if she managed to wind her arm around her head in some marvellous acrobatic fashion, she could hardly fire off a pistol without hanging on to it. And she couldn't wipe it clean after she was dead. Uh, otherwise, the prints were disappointing. None on the door handle, none on the window. Suggestive, eh? Yes. Plenty of Mrs. Allen's all over the place. Curious. Very curious. I told Jameson to make some inquiries in the mews after he put that call through to Essex. You never know. Somebody might have seen something that'll help us. Oh, by the way... Here's something interesting. Huh? Her checkbook and a bank statement. She must have picked up the bank statement yesterday. Take a look at it. Anything strike you? Yes. She was overdrawn. Well, anything else? <laughs> it is an examination you put me through. Huh? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yes, I see what you mean. Uh, two hundred pounds drawn to self three months ago. Two hundred pounds drawn out to self yesterday. And I'll tell you this: there's no such sum of money in the house. Four pounds in a handbag, and a not shilling or two in another bag. Meaning that she paid the sum away last night. Oh, it looks oh, like it. Yes. Now, who did she pay it to? I wonder. Oh, Jameson, get her his jumpster all right? Yes, sir. The inspector's going himself. Ah. It's not more than five miles away, and it won't be away long before he brings us back. Oh, good. You gave him the police box number? I did, sir, and I posted Johnston outside to wait for the call. Oh, fine. Uh, did you discover anything in the mews on your way back? Yes, sir, several things. Oh, such as? To begin with, nobody actually heard the shot. Mm. With all those fireworks going off, there wasn't a dog's chance. Oh, I don't suppose there was. Go on. Well, Mrs. Allen was at home most of yesterday afternoon and evening... She went out about six, but only to post a letter in the box at the end of the mews. At about 9.30, a car drove up and a man got out. Description, about 45, well-set-up military-looking chap, dark blue overcoat, bowler hat, toothbrush, moustache. 45? Well, can't very well be Lavard and West. He's a baby-faced early 30s. Well, this man, whoever he was, stayed for just under an hour. He left about 10.20. Has stopped in the doorway to speak to Mrs. Allen. Yeah, how do you know all this? From a Mrs. Hogg, sir. She's a chauffeur's wife from number 18. Her small boy, Freddy, was hanging about outside the house and heard what was said. Poirot, what are we waiting for? This woman knows something and she's willing to talk. Come on. And you say you've seen this military-looking gentleman before, Mrs. Hogg? Oh, yes, sir, and my husband, too. We all knew him at once. Oh, any idea of his name or where he lives? Oh, no, nothing like that. We've just seen him calling occasionally at number 14. Ah. Now, uh, <laughs> look here, Mrs. Hogg. You're a shrewd woman. I can see that. <laughs> Thank uh, you, sir. Can you give me a line on these two young women, Mrs. Allen and Miss Splendorleaf? What were they like, eh? Gay, lots of parties, that sort of thing? Oh, no, sir, nothing of that. They went out a good bit, Mrs. Allen especially. But they're class, if you know what I mean. Not like some I could name down the other end of the mews. I'm sure the way that Mrs. Stevens goes on, if she is Mrs. Stevens at all, which I doubt, 
Well, I shouldn't like to tell you what goes on there. Yes, I never uh, quite could. so, Mrs. Hogg. Now, Mrs. Allen and Miss Blendley, they were well-liked then? Oh, very nice ladies, both of them. Especially Mrs. Allen. Uh, and Miss Blendley's? Oh, well, of course, she's a nice lady too, but much more abrupt, if you know what I mean. But I've nothing against her, nothing at all. Uh, she and Mrs. Allen got on well together? Oh, yes. No quarrelling, nothing like that. Very happy and contented they were. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Hogg, do you know Mrs. Allen's fiancé by sight? The gentleman she's going to marry? Yeah. Oh, yes, he's been here quite a bit off and on. Member of Parliament, they do say. It was not he who came last night. No, sir, it was not. And if you ask me, sir, what you're thinking is all wrong. Mrs. Allen wasn't that kind of a lady. It's true there was no one else in the house, but I don't believe anything of that kind. I said to my husband only this morning, no, I says. Mrs. Allen was a lady, a real lady. So don't go suggesting things. Knowing what a man's mind is, if you'll forgive my mentioning yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Now, you saw this man arrive and you saw him leave. That is so, isn't it? That's so. And you didn't hear anything else? Any sounds of a quarrel? No, sir. Nor likely to, with fireworks popping here, there and everywhere, and my Freddy with his eyebrows singed off as near as nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this man left at 10.20. That's right, isn't it? Well, I couldn't say myself, but uh, my husband says so, and he's a very reliable, steady man. Yes, but you actually saw him leave? Yes, and I saw him standing in the doorway talking to Mrs. Allen before he drove off. You saw Mrs. Allen too? Yes, she was standing just inside the doorway, I think. Oh, did you notice what, uh, what she was wearing? No. No, I couldn't say. Not notice in particular, as it were. Incredible. And the gentleman, uh, how was he dressed? Oh, he was in a blue overcoat and a bowler hat. Very smart and well set up. Ah, that'll be my Freddy for sure. Excuse me for a tick while I'll let him in. Hello, Mum. Dinner ready? Oh, what a little greedy guts you are, son. You don't have to worry about your dinner. It's all in the oven waiting for you. But first of all, you come in here, Freddy. We've got two detective gentlemen from Scotland Yard waiting to see you. To see me, Mum? Well, I ain't done nothing. <laughs> it's all right, young man. No one's accused you of anything. But you may be able to help us. Now, uh, you saw someone leave number 14 at about 20 past 10 last night, huh? That's right, sir, I did. A gent in a blue overcoat. And you heard him say something, didn't you? Yeah, I heard them talking. The gent said, think it over and let me know... Then she said something, and he answered, All right, so long, and he got into his car. I was holding the door open, but he didn't give me nothing, and drove away. Uh, you didn't hear what Mrs. Allen said? No, sir, I can't say I did. Uh, could you uh, could, could you tell us what sort of dress she was wearing, the, the colour, for instance? Couldn't say at all. She must have been round behind the door. Oh, that's interesting, yes. yes. Now, now, my boy, I, I want you to think and answer my next question very carefully. If you don't know and can't remember, say so. Say so, see? Hmm? Yes, sir. Is that clear? Yes, sir. Which of them closed the door, Mrs. Allen or the gentleman? The lady probably did. No, she didn't. He did. He pulled it to with a bang and jumped into the car quick. It looked as if he had a date somewhere. Thank you, Jeanne. You've been most helpful. I have no more questions to ask. Thank you, sir. Well, uh, in that case, we'll be getting back to number 14. You've both been very helpful, Mrs. Hogg. Thank you. I hope we shan't have to trouble you again. Oh, that'll be quite all right, sir. Anything to help for Mrs. Allen. Be no trouble to us. Oh, very nice of you. Good morning. Good morning, madame. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Ah. Now, I suppose we'll have to get hold of this military gentleman with the toothbrush moustache. It's pretty clear he was the last person to see her alive. 
I know he was. I see Miss Plenderleaf is uh, watching us approach from the sitting room window. Why not ask her? I shall. She may tell us. I've no doubt she could tell us a good deal if she likes. Yes. You were alone with her for a bit. I hoped you'd trot out that father confessor manner of yours that sometimes makes such a hit. Alas, <laughs> we talked only of gas fires. Gas fires? <laughs> I thought the only things which seemed to interest you were the blotting pad on Mrs. Allen's writing bureau and the waste paper baskets. Oh, yes, I saw you having a quiet look in the one downstairs. Anything in it? A catalogue of bulbs. Oh, well, an old magazine. If somebody's going to throw away an incriminating document, they're not likely to pitch it into a waste paper basket. Mm, that's true, that's true. Only something quite uh, unimportant will be thrown away like that. Hmm, I wish I knew what you're driving at. Ah, front door's open. Let's go in and see what else this aloof young woman can tell us. Now, look here, Miss Pendley. Don't you think it'd be wiser to spill the beans here and now? It's going to come to that in the end. I really don't know what you mean. I've answered all your questions. I don't see what more I can do. Well, it's my opinion that you could do a lot more, if you chose. Uh, I, I think, uh, my dear Judd, that uh, Mademoiselle would appreciate better the reason for your questions if you uh, told her just how the case stands. Oh, it's very simple. The facts are as follows. Your friend was found shot through the head with a pistol in her hand and the door and window fastened. That looked like a plain case of suicide, but it wasn't suicide. Medical evidence alone proves that. How? Well, the pistol was in her hand, but the fingers weren't gripping it. Moreover, there were no fingerprints at all on the pistol. And then again, she left no letter. Now, the door was locked. The key hasn't yet been found. So that's it. All along, I thought it was impossible she should have killed herself. And I was right. Ask me any questions you like. I'll answer them to the best of my ability. Ah, very well. Now, last night, Mrs. Allen had a visitor. He's described as a man of 45, military bearing, toothbrush, moustache, smartly dressed. I can't be sure, of course, but it sounds like Major Henry Eustace. Who is this Major Eustace? He's a man Barbara had known abroad in India. He turned up about a year ago, and we've seen him on and off ever since. He was a friend of Mrs. Allen? He behaved like one. What was her attitude to him? I don't think she really liked him. In fact, I'm sure she didn't. Did she ever seem uh, afraid of him? Yes, I, I think she was. She was always nervous when he was about. Ah. Did he and Mr. Laverton West meet at all? Only once, I think. They didn't take to each other much. Charles is a bit of a snob. Henry Eustace is a bit hairy at the heel. <laughs> Not a good mixture. And his address is Major Eustace. A flat in the Cromwell Road. Don't know its number, I'm afraid. Ah. Would it come to you as a surprise, Miss Plenderleaf, if I suggested this man was blackmailing Mrs. Allen? Of course. Oh, what a fool I'd be not to have thought of it. You think the suggestion feasible, mademoiselle? Yes, I do. And I've been a dreadful idiot not to have guessed it was that. Barbara borrowed small sums of me several times during the last six months. And I've seen her sitting poring over her passbook. Oh, I knew she was living well within her income, so I didn't bother. But of course. If she was paying out large sums of money... It would accord with her general demeanor, yes? Absolutely. She was nervous and quite jumpy sometimes. Not at all what she used to be. Excuse me, but that, uh, that, that is not what you told us before. Uh, well, that was different. She wasn't depressed. I mean, she wasn't feeling suicidal or anything like that. But blackmail, yes. Oh, how I wish she'd told me. You've no idea what this man's hold over her may have been? No, nope, I haven't the faintest idea. I can't believe knowing Barbara it could have been anything really serious. 
On the other hand, she could be very easily frightened. In fact, she was just the sort of girl to be a positive gift to a blackmailer. A dirty swine. Unfortunately, the crime seems to have taken place the wrong way around. It's the victim who should kill the blackmailer, not the blackmailer's victim. Yes, that's true. But supposing Barbara got desperate. She may have threatened him with that silly little pistol of hers. He tries to wrench it away from her, and in the struggle he fires it and kills her. Then he's horrified at what he's done and tries to pretend it was suicide. Yeah, it might be. Ah, but there's a difficulty. Major Eustace, if it was him, left here last night at 10.20 and said goodbye to Mrs. Allen on the doorstep. Oh, I see. But he might have come back later. Yes, that's possible. Tell me, where was Mrs. Allen in the habit of receiving guests? Here or in the bedroom upstairs? Both. But this room was used for more communal parties and for my own special friends. You see, Barbara had the biggest bedroom and used it quite often as a sitting room. But if Major Eustace came here by appointment last night, in which room would Mrs. Allen have received him? Um, uh, well, I think she'd probably bring him in here. On the other hand, if she wanted to write a check or anything of that kind, she'd probably take him upstairs. There are no writing materials down here. Writing materials? Did she ever use a ballpoint pen, mademoiselle? No. No, she hated them. She liked a pen with a large, fat nib and plenty of ink. Yes, but there's no question of writing a check last night. Mrs. Allen had drawn out 200 pounds in cash yesterday morning. And so far, we've not found any trace of it. 200 pounds? She gave it to that brute. Oh, poor Barbara. Well... Unless, as you suggest, it was an accident, it still seems remarkable to me that he should kill an apparently regular source of income. It wouldn't take much to make Henry Eustace lose his head. Oh, you'd say he was capable of murder when in that state? Yes, I would. I see. Uh, what sort of cigarettes did he smoke? I've no idea. What cigarettes did Mrs. Allen smoke? Common Virginia. Same as these in this box here. Have one? Uh, not at the moment, thank you. And you, mademoiselle, you smoke the same? I do. You don't smoke Turkish? Never. Uh, nor Mrs. Allen? No, she didn't like them. And uh, Mr. Laverton West, what, what, what did he smoke? Charles, does it matter what he smoked? <laughs> You're not going to pretend that he killed her. A man has killed the woman he loved before now, mademoiselle. Charles wouldn't kill anybody. He's a very careful man. All the same, it's the careful men who commit the cleverest murders. He smoked the same cigarettes as his fiancée, huh? No. Something much more exotic. Uh, hello, Jensen. Anything new to report? Yes, sir. I'd like to have a word with you privately, sir. Oh, in that case, I'll come upstairs right away. Oh, Inspector. Uh, yes? I'd rather like to go up to my own bedroom. Would you mind? I could then leave you all in here to have your private get-together. Oh, of course, if you prefer it that way. Uh, Jameson, your men have finished upstairs, haven't they? Yes, sir, some time ago. In oh. that case, I'll go up right away. Uh, oh, Inspector, hmm? am I still confined to the house? Oh, no, Miss Plendelis, no, you can go where you like, but if you intend to leave London, I'd be glad if you'd leave me your address. I've no intention of leaving here till this whole matter is finally cleared up. Well, Jameson? Chelmsford have just rung through, sir. They've got the dope for us on Miss Plendelis. Oh, what is it? She was playing bridge up to midnight. Host, hostess, naval commander, guest, and two servants. They can all swear to that. Oh. Well, I suppose that should be conclusive enough for anybody. But I still believe that girl's concealing something. Oh, well, let's see what we've got in the way of suspects, apart from the chilly Miss Plenderleaf. There's the fiancé, Mr. Charles Leverton West, who smokes exotic cigarettes, presumably Turkish. And there's Major Henry Eustace, 
was almost certainly the last person to see the murdered woman alive. Uh, make a note of that name, will you, Jameson? Henry Eustace. That's right. He's got a flat in the Cromwell Road. Find out its number and anything else you can. Very good, sir. Oh, you haven't forgotten Mr. Lavis and West will be at the yard at two o'clock, sir? No. Uh, oh, I hadn't realised it was so late. Oh, well, if we go now, we just have time to snatch a sandwich before he arrives. Uh, you coming, Poirot? You'd like to be there, wouldn't you? Yes, mon cher. But I'll deny myself the strange English sandwich. Don't wait for me. I'll, I'll follow by taxi in a few minutes. <laughs> You're going to have a proper lunch, is that it? Something much less amusing. I'm going to look in the dustbin. The dustbin? Yes. You notice my great interest in waste paper baskets. Well, I also have an interest in dustbins. Now, don't be alarmed. I'll be with you by two o'clock. A tout à l'heure. These foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lavert and West, uh, have you any idea who might be likely to make away with Mrs. Allen? No. No, indeed. The, the mere idea, it, it's unthinkable. She never mentioned any enemies, anyone who might have a grudge against her? Never. Did you know she had a pistol? No, I wasn't aware of the fact. Miss Plenderleaf says Mrs. Allen brought this pistol back from India with her some years ago. Good heavens, I knew nothing about it. Well, of course, we've only Miss Plenderleaf's word for that. It's quite possible that Mrs. Allen felt herself in danger from some sort and kept the pistol handy for reasons of her own. She never said a word about it. Hmm. Uh, what's your opinion of Miss Plenderleaf? I mean, does she strike you as a truthful, reliable person? I think so. Yes, I should say so. You don't like her? Well, I wouldn't say that. That sarcastic, independent type isn't attractive to me. But I'd say she was quite truthful. Hmm. Do you know a, a Major Eustace? Eustace? Eustace, yes, yes, I remember the name. I met him once at Barbara's, uh, Mrs. Allen's. Rather a doubtful customer, in my opinion. I said as much to Mrs. Allen. He wasn't the type of man I should have encouraged to come to the house after we were married. What did Mrs. Allen say? Oh, she quite agreed. She trusted my judgment implicitly. She explained that she couldn't very well be rude to a man she hadn't seen for some time. I think she felt especially a horror of being snobbish. Yeah. Why, as a member of Parliament, I have to be very careful in choosing my friends. One is, to a certain extent, in the limelight. Uh, quite, yes. Uh, will you give me an account of your movements on the night of November the 5th? My movements? My movements? Oh, curious, a matter of routine. We ask everybody. I should have thought a man in my position would be exempt. I'm afraid not, sir. Oh. Well, uh, I was, um, let me see. Oh, yes, yes. I left the House of Commons at half past ten. I went for a walk along the embankment. I watched some of the fireworks. And then I walked home. Reaching home, uh, your London address is Onslow Square, I think. At uh, what time? I hardly know exactly. Well, eleven, half past? Yes, somewhere about then. Did you meet anybody whilst you were walking? Anybody who recognised you? No. Really, Chief Inspector, I resent these questions very much. Oh, uh, just a matter of routine, sir. There's nothing personal, you know. Well. Well, if that's all... Uh, that's all for the present, Mr. Lavendon West. You'll keep me informed? Oh, of course. Monsieur, such a loss. Huh? But I'll say no more. Permit me to uh, offer you a cigarette. Uh, oh, 
My case is empty. Mille pardon, monsieur. Job, my dear friend. Um, can you come to my aid? Yes, of course. Oh, sorry. I'm afraid mine's empty, too. Smoked far too much this morning. Um, have one of mine, monsieur Poirot. Hmm? Oh, thank you, thank you. It was really for you that I wanted, but since you insist, you're most kind, most kind. I never smoke before four o'clock in the afternoon. It's not good for the health, you know. How very wise. Well, thank you for your sympathy, Monsieur Poirot. You'll keep me informed, won't you, Inspector? Uh, we will, sir. You can be sure of that. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, dear. Bit of a stuffed fish. Plendelith girl was quite right about him. Oh, well, now I suppose I can light one of my own cigarettes. What about the one you pinched from him? No luck, I'm afraid. Egyptian, not Turkish. That was a cork tip. Pity. <laughs> Never heard a weaker alibi. In fact, it wasn't an alibi at all. Yeah, but it's a pity the boot wasn't on the other leg and she'd been blackmailing him. He's a lovely type for blackmail. Play out like a lamb. Anything to avoid a scam. My friend, it's very pretty to reconstruct the case as you would like it to be, but that's not strictly our affair. No, no, quite right. But I think we know who is our affair. I got a few lines on Major Henry Eustace while I was eating those sandwiches you spurned. Oh. He's got a police record. Con man and thief. Uh -huh. Hello. Get me Detective Sergeant Jameson on the line, will you? Oh, incidentally, Poirot, how was the dustbin? Find anything? Nothing. Pity. Great. Pity. Uh, hello, Jameson. Did you get that number in the Cromwell Road, the Eustace flat? Oh, good. He's in the flat at the moment, you think? You sure? All right. Get my car brought round at once, will you? Because we're going along there immediately. Oh, uh, Major Eustace? Yes, what can I do for you? I'm Chief Inspector Jupp from Scotland Yard. Uh, this is Monsieur Hercule Poirot, the eminent Belgian detective. Uh, we'd both like to have a talk with you, sir. Well, I suppose you better come in. Thank you, sir. Well, I've no idea what you want to see me about. My city room's through here. There we are. Want to take a pill? Thank you. Cigarette? Oh, thank you. Oh, you smoke Turkish, I see. Yes, I'm sorry. You prefer Gasper? I think I got some somewhere. No, no, no this will do very well. Um, <clears throat> perhaps you can guess, Major Eustace, uh, why we've come to see you. I've no idea what brings such a big gun as a chief inspector to see me. Anything to do with my car? No, no, it's not your car. No. Uh, I think you knew a Mrs. Barbara Allen. Oh, so that's it. Of course, I might have guessed. Very sad business. You knew about it? Hmm, saw it in the early editions of the evening papers. Too bad. You knew Mrs. Allen out in India, I think. Yes, that's some years ago now. You also know her husband? No. Matter of fact, I never came across Allen. But you knew something about him? Well, I heard he was by way of being a bad hat. Of course, there's only a rumor. Mrs. Allen didn't say anything? We never talked about him. Uh, you were on uh, intimate terms with her... Well, we were old friends, you know, old friends. We didn't see each other very often. But you did see her yesterday evening. Yes. Matter of fact, I did. You called at her house, I think. Yes. 
She'd asked me to advise her about some investments. <laughs> of course, I can see what you're driving at, her state of mind last night, that sort of thing. She gave you no hint as to uh, what she was going to do? Well, not the least in the world. Matter of fact, when I said goodnight, I said I'd bring her up soon, we'd do a show together. You said you'd ring her up? Yes. Those were your last words? Yes. Yes, they were. Curious. I have information that you said something quite different. Well, of course, I, I can't remember the exact words. According to my information, what you actually said was, well, think it over and let me know. Let me see. Yes, I believe you're right. Hmm. Not exactly that. I think I was suggesting she should let me know when she was free. Yes, not, uh, not quite the same thing, is my it? My dear that? fellow, you can't expect a man to remember word for word what he said on any given occasion. And what did Mrs. Allen reply? She said she'd give me a ring. And then you said, all right, so long. Well, probably, something of the kind, anyway. Uh, you say that Mrs. Allen asked you to advise her about investments. Did she by any chance entrust you with a sum of 200 pounds in cash to invest for her? What the devil do you mean by that? Was the money for investment or was it blackmail? Here, you suggested... I think, Henry Eustace, at this point, I must ask you if you're willing to come to Scotland Yard and make a statement. There is, of course, no compulsion, and you can, if you prefer it, have your solicitor present. Solicitor? What the devil do I want with a solicitor? What are you cautioning me for? I'm inquiring into the circumstances of the death of Mrs. Allen. Look here, damn it, man. You don't suppose that... Why, that's nonsense. What happened was this. I called round to see Barbara by appointment. That was at what time? At about half past nine, I should say. We sat and talked. And smoked? Yes, and smoked. Anything damaging in that? Where did this conversation take place? In the sitting room, left to the doors you go in. Talked together quite amicably, as I say. I left little before half past ten. Stayed for a minute on the doorstep for a few last words. Last words, precisely. Huh? Who are you, I'd like to know? I'm quite a damn foreigner. What are you butting in for? You've been told I'm Hercule Poirot. Don't care if you're the Achilles statue. Well, as I say, Barbara and I parted quite amicably. I drove straight to the Far East Club, got there at 5 and 20 to 11, went straight up to the card room, stayed there playing bridge until 1.30. Now then, put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's a pretty alibi you have there. Uh, pretty cast-iron one, I should say. No, Mr. Chief Inspector, are you satisfied? Uh, <clears throat> you remained in the sitting room throughout your visit? Yes. You didn't go upstairs to Mrs. Allen's room? No, I tell you, we stayed in the one room and didn't leave it. Ah. How many sets of cufflinks have you? Cufflinks? Cufflinks? What's that got to do with it? I'm not bound to answer the question, of course. Answer it? I don't mind answering it. I have nothing to hide. I shall certainly demand an apology for all this, you know. I don't know how many pairs of cufflinks I've got, but I always wear the same ones. I'm wearing them now. Look, here you are. One, two. Yeah. Very nice design. I see one's broken. Bit of enamel chipped off. Don't remember when that happened, I suppose? Oh, day or two ago, no longer. Would you be surprised to hear that it happened when you were visiting Mrs. Allen? Why should I? I haven't denied I was there. Yes, but that bit of cufflink wasn't found in the sitting room. It was found upstairs in Mrs. Allen's room. <laughs> in the room where she was killed and where a man sat smoking the same kind of Turkish cigarettes that you smoke. Uh, you can't do this. You've got nothing on me, not a thing. You're trying to frame me, but you can't do that. I've got an alibi. 
And I never went near the house again. No one's night. accused you of going near the house again. You didn't need to. Wasn't Mrs. Allen already dead when you left it? Well, that's impossible. She was just inside the door. She spoke to me. People must have heard her. Oh, they heard her. you speaking to her and pretending to wait for her answer and then speaking again. It's an old trick. Often succeeds. But it isn't true. Can't you believe me? It isn't true. I tell you, I didn't kill her. I swear it. She was alive. I'll have to ask you to come with us. You're arresting me? Detained for inquiry. We'll put it that way. Uh, uh, I suppose I'm sunk. Here, I... I did accept money from her. Oh, so it was blackmail. Well, call it that if you like. But I didn't kill her. You must believe me. I didn't kill her. Until I saw the evening papers, I had no idea. She was dead. No idea at all. Uh, will you get in, Major Eustace? Yeah. Oh, well. Jensen, I'm detaining this man. Right, sir. Uh, Poirot, you're coming back to the yard with us? Fares to more share. I should like to ask Sergeant Jensen if he's noticed anything strange while he's been uh, waiting for us out here. Well, nothing really, sir, except that Miss Plenderleaf. She seems very interested in what we're doing. Miss Plenderleaf? Yes, sir. She's been standing on the other side of the street watching this car. I think she must have been here before we arrived. But uh, she's uh, she's not here now. What's happened to her? She is there, sir. Look, she's sitting at the window table in that tea shop, just across the way. I think she realised I'd spotted her. That was when she moved in there. Well, uh, what do you make of that, Poirot? I make a great deal, my friend. A very great deal. Let Sergeant Jensen take Major Eustace to Scotland Yard. I want you to stay here with me. Stay here? But in a wet and windy Cromwell Road, what on earth for? Those cosy tea rooms opposite, they're fortunately empty, except for Miss Plenderleaf. I suggest we go at once and have a cup of that curious English beverage. Well, surely you don't think there's much significance... In Miss Plenderleaf's presence in that tea shop window facing us? Yes, mon cher colleague, I do. There you have a spider sitting in the center of a web. I now know everything. Not everything. Ah, come, come, come with me. Have that cup of tea. Good afternoon, Miss Plenderleaf. May we join you at this table? Why, if it isn't Monsieur Poirot and the Chief Inspector. <laughs> One of us should say something about it being a small world, I suppose. Uh, I'm afraid I was just leaving. You have a good view of the street from this uh, window, particularly of those, uh, uh, those, those flats opposite. Yes. But I can't imagine anyone being inspired by the sight of the Cromwell Road. Uh, now, I really must go. And the spectacle of Major Eustace being driven away in the police car. I suggest that was something you found inspiring, mademoiselle. Has he been arrested? Detained for further questioning. He killed Barbara. I know he did. And I knew you'd come here for him. That's why I'm here. I've been waiting here all the afternoon, thinking how I should gloat when you took him away. And did you gloat, mademoiselle? Yes, I did. I found myself wishing that execution still took place in public. Uh, I'll go and order some tea. Won't be a second. I expect I've shocked you, Monsieur Poirot. But that's how I feel about that unspeakable swine. And I've no intention of disguising my feelings. Does he admit it? 
Has he confessed? He insists he's innocent of the murder. But you don't believe that, do you? Murder, mademoiselle, is the willful destruction of one human being by another human being. Why do you say that? Sounds horrible. It is horrible. That's why you, mademoiselle, should be very careful. Uh, I've uh, ordered a tea and toasted buns. And I was just going to describe, if mademoiselle can spare the time, those events which led up to the death of Mrs. Barbara Allen. Are you trying to tell me Henry Eustace didn't kill her? Monsieur Poirot has his own method of summing up a case, Miss Plendleaf. I suggest you and I just sit still and listen. Thank you, my dear Jopper. As you know, when we arrived at your house this morning, mademoiselle, we went immediately to the room where the body of Mrs. Allen had been found. I was struck at once by several significant details. There were things you see in that room that were... Yes, decidedly odd. Go on. To begin with, there was the cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoke? I didn't smell any. Precisely. You didn't smell any stale smoke at all. And that was very strange, for the door and window were both closed. And yet on an ashtray were the stubs of no fewer than ten cigarettes. It was curious, very curious that the room should smell as it did perfectly fresh. And then uh, there was the writing bureau. Ah, I thought we'd come to that. That writing bureau was really, oh, very interesting. Something was missing. Missing? What was missing? A sheet of blotting paper, mademoiselle. The blotter, the blotting book, it uh, had on the top a clean, untouched sheet of blotting paper. Oh, really, Monsieur Poirot? People do occasionally tear off a much-used sheet, you know. Yes, but what do they do with it, huh? Hmm? Throw it into the waste paper basket, don't they? Usually, yes. But it was not in the waste paper basket. No, no. I, I looked. But you can't know when she threw it away. It might have happened days ago. The sheet was clean because she hadn't been writing any letters. That could hardly be the case, mademoiselle, for Mrs. Allen was seen going to the post box that evening. Therefore, she must have been writing letters. She could not write downstairs. There was no writing materials. She would hardly be likely to go to your room to write. So then, what happened to the sheet of paper on which she had blotted her letters? You tell me she never used a ballpoint pen. Therefore, she must have blotted those letters somewhere. Oh, it's true that people sometimes throw things in the fire instead of the waste paper basket. But there was only a gas fire in the room. And the fire downstairs had not been alight the previous day. <laughs> Isn't all this rather trivial and unimportant? I think not. I looked everywhere in your house for that piece of blotting paper. In all the waste paper baskets and the dustbin, everywhere. But it was not to be found. And that seemed to me very important. It looked as though someone had deliberately taken it away. Why? Why, huh? Because there was writing on it which could easily have been read by holding it up to a mirror. And there was something else, mademoiselle. Something else which had been brought into the room... The ashtray with the cigarette ends. That was brought in? But of course, that room was fresh and pure smelling. A room in which the window had been open, not closed all night. When I 
realize these things. I made myself a picture. A picture of you, mademoiselle. Driving up in your taxi yesterday morning at twenty past ten. I saw you paying it off, running up the stairs, calling perhaps a babara, and you open the door and find your friend lying there dead, with a pistol clasped in her hand. The left hand, naturally, since she's left handed. And therefore, too, the bullet had entered the left side of her head. You're, you're accusing me. You must be mad. Oh, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going. Stay I... where you are, Miss Plentilly. Go on, Poirot. On the writing bureau in Mrs. Allen's room, there was a note. Was there not, Mademoiselle? A note addressed to you and telling you what had driven her to take her own life. I think almost at once the idea flashed into your head. This was a certain man's doing. Let him be punished. Fully and adequately. So, you take the pistol, mademoiselle. Wipe it and place it in the right hand. No, I... You take the note and you tear off the top sheet of blotting paper on which the note had been blotted. You go downstairs, light the fire, and put them both on the flames. It's not... Then you carry up the ashtray to further the illusion that two people sat there talking. And you also take up a fragment of enamel cufflink that is on the floor. That is a lucky find, and you expect it to change matters. Then you close the window and lock the door. There must be no suspicion that you have tampered with the room. The police must see it exactly as it is. So you do not seek help in the mules, but ring the police right away. Ah, so it is goes on. You play your chosen role with judgment and coolness. You refuse at first to say anything, but cleverly you suggest the doubts of suicide. Later, you are quite ready to set us on the trail of Major Eustace. Yes, mademoiselle. The only murder in Bardsley Garden News was your murder. My. My murder? Precisely. It was a very clever murder, your attempted murder of Major Eustace, for that is what you've been trying to do. So you know. Yes, mademoiselle. I know. It wasn't murder. It was justice. That man hounded poor Barbara to her death. You see, she got involved with a man in India when she first went out there. He was a married man, many years older than she was. Then she had a baby. She went off to some out-of-the-way spot and came back calling herself Mrs. Allen. Later, the child died. She came back here and she fell in love with Charles, that pompous ass. She adored him. And he took it as a matter of course. If he'd been a different kind of man... I'd have advised her to tell him everything. But as it was, I advised her to hold her tongue. And then uh, Major Eustace appeared? Uh, yes. Oh, you know the rest. That devil began to bleed her systematically. But it wasn't until last night that she realized she was exposing Charles, too, to the risk of scandal. Once married to Charles, Eustace had got her where he wanted her. Married to a rich man with a horror of any scandal. When Eustace left the house last night, she sat thinking it over. 
Then she went upstairs and wrote a letter to me. She said she loved Charles, couldn't live without him. But for his own sake, she mustn't marry him. She was taking the best way out, she said. Do you wonder I did what I did? And you sit there and call it murder? Because it is murder. Attempted murder. And murder cannot be justified. Oh, what rubbish! Some people don't deserve to live. Mademoiselle, face the truth. Your friend died in the last resort because she's not the courage to live. How dare you? That's a cruel thing to say. But it's so, and you know it. Because of that, you really wish of your own volition to destroy the life, the life, mind, of any human being? Don't talk to me like that. I, I can't bear it. Ah, ah, so you, you, you are a woman, after all, huh? Not a cold-blooded machine designed for vengeance. And you're not ashamed of the trouble you've caused? Oh, not to me. <laughs> I'm retired. These cases are to me just, just a recreation. But to the chief inspector here, you realize that your stupid desire for personal revenge... ...has wasted a good deal of his time and that I may be sent to prison for it. Oh, yes, I know. Why do you think I leapt to my feet and nearly ran out of here a few minutes ago? Don't worry, Inspector. I've got my nerves under control now. No more panic. Are you... Are you going to arrest me? No. You're, you're not going to take any action against me? Is that what you mean? That's it. I'm not even going to say, don't do it again. Not likely that fate will put you in a position to give a repeat performance. I'm not a vindictive man, Miss Plenderleaf. So I see. I'm very grateful. Thank you. <laughs> now I'd better go. You know, when it came to the point, I don't think I could have stood by and let them hang him. That proves, I suppose, that I'm just a silly emotional female after all. Goodbye. Well, I dead. Not murder disguised as suicide, but suicide disguised as murder. Yes. And pretty cleverly done, too. <laughs> Good for you, Poirot. Not bad for an old dog, are you? <laughs> ah, at last. Here comes our tea and those toasted buns I ordered. Oh, no, 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 my dear John. You can't do this to me. No. The tea, perhaps, the toasted buns. No, 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 never that. No, oh, no. Oh. Jump it, jump it. <laughs> that was Murder in the Muse by Agatha Christie. Dramatized for radio by Anthony Aspinall. The part of Hercule Poirot was played by Richard Williams... Chief Inspector Jupp by Jack Melford. Jane Plenderleith by Monica Gray. Detective Sergeant Jameson by Ronald Sidney. Charles Laverton West by Alan Cuthbertson. Major Henry Eustace by William Fox. Dr. Brett by Duncan McIntyre. Mrs. Hogg by Ella Milne. And Freddie Hogg by Ian Whitaker. The play was produced by David H. Godfrey in the London studios of the BBC.